Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. At Greenlight Guru, the biggest thing we care about is the biggest thing you care about, improving the quality of life with medical devices built with less risk. We know we're not physically there helping you to build devices, but our software is. So why wouldn't we build our software to be aligned with industry standards like ISO 1345 or 14971? We're the only medical device QMS solution provider to be named by G2 as a category leader for 13 quarters in a row. Because it's an odd number, I can't do the math and tell you how many years, but what does that mean? It means medical device companies who are out there making a difference believe we're making a difference and they're telling people about it. If you're looking to make a difference by getting quality, life-saving devices to market on an average three times faster, contact Greenlight Guru today to start the conversation. Welcome back to the Global Medical Device Podcast. My name is Etienne Nichols. I'm the host of today's episode. And today we get to speak with Sandra Rodriguez on the topic of CSV versus CSA, modern validation for modern medtech. In September of 2022, FDA issued a draft guidance regarding computer software assurance or CSC, which sort of took the place of what was previously known as computer systems validation. There have been mixed reactions from the industry. Some companies seem to be afraid that a certain level of rigor will be lost, but after looking this over, the methodology looks totally in line with FDA's move towards thinking and developing using a more risk-based approach. So we brought Sandra in to have a conversation in front of a virtual audience to discuss the ins and outs of this guidance and how it's been received and implemented by the industry. Sandra is an analyst for Exindia, which is a leading analyst and strategic advisory firm focused exclusively on the life sciences market. They advise medical device and life science companies on how to prepare for, adapt to, and overcome disruption by providing them with strategic advice on business, regulatory, and technology issues. Sandra has a ton of experience in the specific section of validation, so she is uniquely suited to cover this topic. We hope you enjoy this episode with Sandra Rodriguez on CSB versus CSA, Modern Validation for Modern MedTech. Hey, Milan, if I'm saying your name correctly, good to see you. I'm going to give our guest speaker a moment to come on stage. Okay. I'm on All right, rock on. Great to see you. Likewise. Um, yeah. I'm going to give just a minute for it because I know this, since this is a live event, we're going to give a minute for some people to show up. And uh, for those of you who are already here, love to hear where you're coming from. I personally am in Nashville. We were very uh, talking a lot about where Sandra's from. Where are you coming in from, Sandra? I am in Puerto Rico. So, uh, you know, good morning from a very balmy, probably feels like 105 degrees today. Mm. All right. Oregon. Fantastic. Welcome, Claren. If I'm saying your name correctly. Okay. Well, we can go ahead and kick this conversation off. Um, I know people are going to be kind of trickling in. Looks like we got some people from Texas, Florida. Maybe they know a little bit what you're experiencing with the heat waves. Boston. I was just there last week, Emma. Fantastic. Kansas. Oh, go Chiefs. Heidelberg. (laughs) Hello. Guten Tag. (laughs) <laughs> you're gonna have me beat with the multiple languages <laughs> just a little bit of russian you know, do- uh, i hope that's right i don't know we'll see um edinburgh scotland fantastic this is great lots of people from lots of places um i'm excited to have this conversation with you today sandra 
for the recording. Those of you who are listening, you're listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. And this is a slightly different uh, type of episode than we ordinarily would have on the podcast. This is a live episode. Um, so we have a lot of people in the chat coming from a lot of different places. Today with me is Sandra Rodriguez. She's an industry analyst from Exindia. Um, but I'll give you a moment to introduce yourself, Sandra, and give give a little bit of an origin story or your background. Okay, great. So um, hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Um, as, as Etienne mentioned, I work for Exendia. Exendia is an industry analyst firm. Uh, but what makes us unique is we only cover business technology and regulatory trends in life sciences, right? So we don't go into oil and gas, utilities, automotive, any of that. Um, I sold software and professional services in the life sciences in the early 2000s. So I have about, I don't want to date myself, but yeah, I have around 21, 22 years of experience working within the life sciences in varying roles. So one of the things I did used to do was sell validation services, um, as well as software and the implementation services, you know, everything around there. And uh, like, I, uh, like I always like to say, in the good old days, you know, I made a really nice living doing that um, because validation was this necessary evil that companies uh, needed, you know, in life sciences, the regulations, it's like some people call it the price you have to pay to play. Mm. And so when they were implementing software back in the day, even off the shelf, um, it was so customized, right. Um, that, the validation effort, anything that the vendor had done, right, immediately just went off the table because there had been so much customization and configuration. So, uh, sorry, I feel like I'm going into no. <laughs> the topic, but I just want to. I just want to let the the attendees here know. Uh, yes, I remember. I remember when validation was a great way. To make money, it was a great way to, it was, you wanted to be a consultant, you were going to be busy, you were going to have more work than you could contend with. Um, and what the, and, and again, that was the, as as Dan Matlas, who I work for, the way he puts it is, it was the unintended consequence of the regulation. Yeah. So, and, and I, I appreciate you going into some of the detail about your background. That's fantastic. And it's one of the reasons we invited Sandra onto the show today to talk about this subject. And what is that subject? So those of you who are here today, you already know CSA versus CSV. That's computer software assurance versus computer system validation, modern validation for modern tech. So when we came up with this topic, part of the reason we came up with this topic is just a little bit of history. Um, in September, the FDA came out with a draft guidance to talk about co computer software assurance. So if we were to look at that as maybe a line in the sand as a, or, or an indicator that the industry is changing back in September, maybe we should talk a little bit more about the, the history and what some of that was entailed. You're kind of alluding to the cost of doing business and the, the, it's a high cost to get through that validation. But what was required? I mean, and, and just in my background, I remember working in Fortune 500 companies and multiple different companies where 
we weren't allowed to use certain parts of the software because they said, well, it's not validated yet. And it would be months before it was validated. And uh, there were even things with Excel and things like that. So what was the scope of this validation and what, what exactly was happening? Right. So the guiding principles of software validation. Um, Look, I think that at the time, the agency had really good intentions, right? Automation and technology was still very new in life sciences. Um, So you needed to, you needed some way to show that you were in a state of control and that the software was being implemented for its intended use. And you could prove that every single feature and function of the software operated the way that it needed to operate. And then, of course, Part 11 came on even after that, right? That's when the agency started saying, whoa, 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 there's no audit trail, there's no electronic records, electronic signatures here. And uh, I think what, uh, I don't say I think, I kind of lived it. At the time, there were pharmaceutical companies Companies, medical device companies, biotech, any industry, people were, from my recollection, they had entire app dev groups within their businesses, and they were composed of full-time employees and a ton of contractors, and they were building these custom applications to meet their current business needs, their challenges, right? Companies wanted to, they had... Again, they had good intentions like, hey, we want to automate this. We need a system that can do this. We have so much paper. So let's build something. And the result of building those things um, turned into you. Do you want to be a life science company or do you want to be a software development company? You know, do you want to keep spending all this overhead on bringing people in to build technology or do you want to buy it off the shelf? And again, like I said earlier, yeah, there was a lot of off the shelf software. But because of the guiding principles of computer software validation, companies were basically going back and retesting everything that the vendors had already done, right? So it's just like, okay, well, our SOP says we have to validate this, and this is what the validation package looks like, and we're going to have a system design specification. We're going to have our URS, our FRS. You know, it was acronym soup, IQ, OQPQ, all the Qs. Um, traceability matrix, validation summary report. I mean, we're literally talking thousands of pages of documentation. And and God forbid you were putting in like an ERP at the time. I mean, <laughs> that was going to be, Oof. you know, a, a truckload of documentation, validation documentation, showing that you had tested every single feature and function of this system. Yeah. And if I were to just describe it in the way I understand it um looking back because i did do as a manufacturing engineer um i was more on the the process validation iqoq pqs i was peripherally involved peripherally i guess involved in some of the system validations but it's it from my understanding they looked at every single feature just like you're saying and had a a baseline uh validation that had to happen for every single feature and that was essentially the uh um the 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 sum total of what what was happening those activities how does that kind of work differently with uh, computer so- software validation? Maybe we could talk a little bit about what, I mean, I'm, I keep saying sure. the wrong thing. Computer software assurance, CSA. The acronyms are a little bit easier. Ordinarily, I don't like the acronyms, but today I do. So what is what are some of the differences? Maybe we could talk about what computer, computer software assurance is. 
Okay, so so the big thing is uh, b- before I before I start down that road, um, keep in mind if you talk uh, software validation to anyone outside of life sciences, they're going to glaze over. Uh, validation is not used. Software validation is not used outside of this industry. Um, everywhere else is called software quality assurance, software assurance, quality assurance, right? Um, QA. So yeah. the biggest, I would say the biggest change, number one, is that we're not calling it validation. We're calling it assurance. Yet, if, if and, you know, if the folks on the um, podcast today, if you haven't read through the draft, draft guidance, do so. Now, granted, it's, it's in draft format. Um, it is not finalized yet. We can get into that a little bit later. But the language is changing. And when you look at, and this is the way FDA, for example, um, Cisco Vicente is the program manager of the case for quality at the FDA. The FDA has a working group called MDIC. MDIC stands for Medical Device Industry Consortium. Okay. So if anyone here wants to learn more, you know, Google it, Bing it, whatever your preferred way of searching this is, they do a lot of industry outreach. It's made up of regulators. It's made up of technology and service providers. I believe the founder of Greenlight Guru is involved in that. Um, And a ton of industry companies, right? Everything from big global medical device companies like Boston Scientific to some of the more smaller niche players. So there's room for you in that conversation. Okay. So this draft guidance, so these folks got together and I know, yes, the draft guidance was issued on in September of 2022. Last year, whatever that was. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Check this out. The working group for computer software assurance through the MDIC was formed in 2015, eight years ago. Eight years ago, the regulators, the technology companies, and some very forward-thinking life science companies got together and said, what can we do to bring life sciences to, how can we finally catch up with automotive, high-tech, all the other industries out there when it comes to automating our production processes and implementing technology? And how, because right now, and people always get shocked. Again, remember, I, uh, I was involved in professional services for a long time. Based on my experience, if you spent $100,000 on software, you spend $150,000 on implementation and validation, right? So those pieces became 1.5 times the cost of your initial investment in just software. Mm. So, so the fact that the industry wasn't advancing like everyone else was twofold. There wasn't technology out there. They felt they had to build it. And the cost of implementing a system, and life sciences is so unique, I would say a cap is a cap, a cap. We know that today. But back then, everyone's processes and everyone's needs were so unique that they were either going to, like I said, customize and just configure the heck out of it, or they decided that the best thing we have to do is build our application on our own and support it on our own. And then the validation of all that. So now you become a software company. Right now, you have to come up with your SDLC, your system development lifecycle. And again, do this all, you know, 
within the regulatory frameworks under the quality system regulation, under the guiding principles of computer software validation, all that good stuff. So software assurance was born, I guess, <laughs> as an idea, eight years ago. Many pilots, many, many pilots. I'm talking Boston Scientific was involved. Um, Edwards Life Science. Um, there was a Zoll Life Fest. There was Baxter. There were a ton of other companies. And they said, okay, let's look at GAMP. And this was, you know, even back then. What does a risk-based approach mean? And when you look at validation, and I always describe it as a triangle, right? And it's a podcast, so I can't show it to you. But validation was this. You look at a triangle. At the bottom layer, you have documentation. On the top layer, you have assurance activities. And then you have, I'm sorry, I'm doing it backwards. Yeah, you have assurance activities, testing, and then at the top of the pyramid, like if you think of like a like the food pyramid that you know we grew up on, you yeah. had critical thinking. That's so, a pointy top. Yeah. Right. So what happened was you created all of this documentation because your assurance activities were this big and your testing activities were this big, and then your critical thinking at the top was the least, the least bit of effort that you put into how you're going to validate the system. And I don't want to pick on the validation and the QA people on the podcast today, but you kind of did it to yourselves back then, <laughs> right? It was like, I'm going to write an SOP on computer system validation, and this is what we're going to do for every single technology that we implement in this company, and we're going to validate the software to the level that we're going to validate the software in our medical devices themselves. And so actually, I want to I want to time out for just a second because of something you said there. Actually, one person in the chat, Jenny's kind of she was asking a little bit for some clarification in the conversation, and I think it, it, it's a good idea. So when we're talking about this computer system validation, we're not talking about the validation of your medical device or your software as a medical device. And actually, you know, I will direct some people again to the draft guidance. If you look at that draft guidance that was released on September, pages seven and eight actually define the scope. And I'll just kind of quickly go through that. I'm sorry to interrupt you because you're no, probably doing a better job. No, it's important. So, it's important. And on page seven, it talks about software intended for automating production processes. So we're talking inspection, testing, collection, and processing of production data. Software intended for automating the quality system process. So that's collecting and processing of quality system data, maintaining quality records, the quality system regulation, um, and, and things that of that nature as well as software that supports those things. So software that supports production, um, software that supports the quality system. So those are kind of the, the, the main buckets that we're looking at. We're not talking about the medical device itself. This is more of the processes uh, related to those. And yeah, any clarification there, Sandra? Yeah, and the guidance specifically states non-product software, right? So your medical device as a product. Right. We're talking we're talking your ERP. We're talking your QMS system. If you have PLM, um, think about a platform like Greenlight Guru. Right. Think about this type of technology or technologies that are used to support the production process on the shop floor. Okay. And so this is uh, 
this I'm, I, I appreciate you going through all the detail and some of the the things that we previously had to experience. So now we're you you kind of describe that pyramid um, where on the bottom there's all those activities of validation, and then yeah, that was just an expectation. Everything's going to experience that that depth of validation, and then you move a little bit higher up to the very top where you start having that risk based thinking. So that's CSV. Tell yeah. me a little bit more about CSA. How do you see that? So CSA completely flips that pyramid upside down. So at the bottom, you have a lot of critical thinking up front, right? You're looking for your intended use. You're really looking at what is the impact of this feature and function on the patient, on the quality system, on the production system. How does anything in this software application impact the long-term and assess risk to it? So you start with critical thinking. Because you're doing all that critical thinking, your assurance activities are going to go down because you've now got, and by the way, you're not just thinking it, you're documenting it. You're doing your risk assessment and you're backing it up, right, for a regulator and for yourself as a company. The one thing that Cisco has said consistently over the years is that validation documentation has to be a value to you as the business, not the auditor. Okay. All right. So your critical thinking's here. As a result, your assurance activities go down. As a result, your testing goes down. Now, the one thing that the guidance document had people up in arms, and I've given plenty of talks, and there have been a lot of validation people in the room, um, or QA people, it has things like error guessing and ad hoc testing and unscripted testing. Right. So these are new. These are new concepts. If you're responsible for validation at your organization or quality in your organization. Um, but these test, testing methods happen in other industries and software companies use them as well. So because your testing activities go down, what your documentation, the, the amount of pages Right. The amount of documents that you need to show or keep, again, making sure that they're of value to you, are going to be reduced dramatically. I mean, I've seen numbers of upward, upwards of 80 percent. I mean, I'm talking, we're talking about going from 50,000 pages of documents to maybe 1,000, 1,500. Right. So think of think of every document as a resource. And then the time that went into creating that document. Yeah. So I, I love the way you use that pyramid to look at that, um, you know, one kind of use the pyramid for both, just flipping it upside down. So I really like right. that. So I guess a question that might pop up is uh, how often this is relatively new, to, at least on paper, but you said it's been in, been thought of since 2014. What is actually different in practice? I mean, we, we talk about what what uh, the CSV and what it actually was. What is it in practice? Are some people kind of already doing this? Because it seems like we should be already thinking in a risk-based way. Okay, so if you're, for example, if you're uh, one of the, I'm going to say pilot companies that I mentioned earlier, you've been doing it since 2015. There are other companies that say, well, We've been following GAMP and we've taken a risk-based approach to validation for a long time. So this guidance document isn't really um, any, it's not really providing any new information, 
right? We've been following GAMP and we're, you know, we're, we, we do critical thinking. Um, the other thing in this guidance document that's really important is that there's a, uh, there's a big, uh, the word data integrity shows up, right? About what, you know, what are we really trying to achieve here? Um, with this new critical thinking, this new computer software assurance for, for production and quality systems. And it is data integrity as well. So it's what it does in, 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 in my opinion and, uh, and with the companies that I've talked to is that it lessens the validation burden on the medical device company, med tech company. And in a way it shifts it back to you, right? To the green light gurus of the world, to your technology vendors of the world. Because the expectation is that a technology company knows how to build good software, knows how to release good software. And the days of customizing are over or really, really deep configurations are over. Back in the day, it was pretty much 80-20. There was a rule, 80-20. 80% is going to be customized, and then 20% of it we're going to use out-of-the-box functionality. Wow. That has now shifted to 20% configuration, right? Customization is a bad word. Um, so now it's 20% configuration, 80% off the shelf. Yeah. Okay. And so you mentioned Greenlight Guru because obviously that's sponsoring this podcast. So I guess we should mention that. Um, someone actually asked in the chat, well, what is Greenlight Guru doing? And we previously had done something of a CSV approach. We have recently announced June 1st, we're moving uh, to this, this more modern approach. And we are working to streamline that software implementation for companies and, and really provide um, a better solution. So one question, another question that was in the uh, um uh, June the announcement was June first to move to June twenty first. Okay, so there was the um, a correction from Ethan, who is our fantastic customer smart guy, in the uh, in the chat. So one of the questions though also was about Gamp five because you mentioned Gamp. Is the is the assumption if you are pursuing that approach, you're already covering all of the things CSA or this draft guidance is talking about? Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Great question. Um, and I'm going to answer it. I'm going to let the industry answer it for you. So the draft guidance was issued in September. Um, if anyone on the uh, on the podcast today has never done this, you know these they, they are public docket numbers. They're on the FDA website and they're open for comment. So draft guidances stay open for 60 days, giving the industry a chance to comment. All right, there are, and I checked yesterday, and of course the comment period is very closed. It closed, I think, on November 15th. 137 comments were received to this guidance document. Um, they're all public. There was AdvaMed. There was a, a, a Society for, for Quality Assurance. There are medical device companies. There's a lot of anonymous people. There's some consultants. Um, a lot of the comments say that, you know, this is, you know, this was already being covered by GAMP and that, they that uh, the recommendation is that the agency with the appropriate wording and of course there's suggestions right on, on how to do it but the recommendation is that they marry those two a little bit closer together so that there is so it eliminates um 
any kind of confusion or, you know, so that people really understand, you know, just to make the language a little bit more uh, not up for interpretation. So short answer, um, this is specifically the industry itself is saying, hey, you know, FDA, why don't you consider this? Another thing, and I don't know if it's going to come up in the chat or if you're going to ask me, but what you can tell a lot about potential changes to a draft guidance based on the number of times you see certain things show up as a comment. The industry is asking, and uh, open system, well, I say open system, closed system, cloud and SaaS, okay? They are specifically asking for the agency, you know, some, and when, when companies were moving to the cloud, and I would say that really started probably right around this time, right? Maybe it was about eight years ago that there was a little bit more activity in moving to the cloud outside of like your CRM or email. You know, I'm talking about like ERP in the cloud, QMS mm. in the cloud, those type yeah. of things. So they are asking for uh, a specific example because the guidance document has a learning management system, an MES, an ERP, an Excel spreadsheet, you know, and a business intelligence or a business analytics tool, right? They list a couple examples of how to apply critical thinking and taking risk-based approach when it comes to software assurance. So the industry is asking for examples of cloud or SaaS software. So let's see if it makes it in there. Um, and then to no surprise, artificial intelligence. You know, it's like, I- yeah. You know, it's the answer. The question is always, look, I get that, you know, we want it's always OK. It's always better to ask for permission. You know, I, I'm sorry. It, it probably is better to ask for <laughs> permission, you know, ahead of and, and in life sciences. It's always been look, we know warning letters are, are bad. Um, they're just they're bad for PR. They're bad. They're bad in general. Right. You don't want to be on. You don't want to be on the FDA's website um, because now you're going to get all kinds of companies calling you and trying to help you fix your problems. So there is a uh, there. It's like the industry is begging for like, hey, tell, tell me how to validate my cloud solution or tell me how to validate the SaaS application. And I really want to use artificial intelligence, but tell me how I'm supposed to validate that. Well, the agency itself is still trying to figure out artificial intelligence, right. number one. Right. There's a ton of discussion papers out there. So. It'll be interesting to see what the final guidance document looks like. Um, if anyone, and I, I'm sorry, I'm talking, so I'm not really keeping up with the chat. No, that's I'm okay. The next question would be, well, when are we going to see it? Okay, so rumor has it that uh, because of these questions, right, or 137 comments, because of all this input from the industry, it's going to take a little bit longer um, than anticipated. And we could, if all goes well, see uh, the final guidance document by the end of the calendar year, not the fiscal year. So that would be by the end of calendar year 2023. Okay. And since you mentioned AI, I'm going to put a link in the chat as well as the link in the show notes to the, what I kind of wonder is maybe going to drive some of the things around that, uh, the blueprint for an AI bill of rights. Um, and so, you know, I, I always like to go upstream when I think about things changing and shifting and maybe CSA is a good example as well. Where did it come from? What was the the motivating factor behind these things? So you got to apply that to this, this other type of software, really, 
And where are some of these changes coming down from? And this blueprint for an AI Bill of Rights may be one of those things. You can see that in some of the the draft guidances. It's a reference. So just throwing that out there. We'll put that in the show notes. But let's talk a little bit more about the specifics of CSA. And uh, the the spe- if, if you can maybe give some examples of, let's say I've got an ERP that I want to validate. Or, okay, keep using that word. I, I have an ERP that I want to be in line with computer software assurance. What are some of the differences that I'm going to do on a practical level? Can you kind of walk me through what the actual steps would look like? Sure. I mean, I okay. So the first thing you want to do is you want to assess the risk to the patient and the product, right? Um, from failure, event, or a consequence with potential cause to, let's say, let, let's start with low risk. Low risk, and and the, these are these are some frameworks that are in the guidance document and that come from FDA themselves. Okay, so um, you want to determine what's the risk to the patient or the product. What 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 is the risk to this feature and function of the product not working as intended to the patient or the product um, or to the quality system? Um, there is an ERP example in the guidance document. Um, I don't think I have it in front of me. And uh, it's in page 11, a, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a little bit of a, a okay. <laughs> technology day today. But what you do is so long story, and, and this, this really goes to your testing approach, right? So this this guide this guidance document is all about documenting your risk assessment, determining your assurance and your testing approach in accordance with that risk. Now, look, if everything is high risk, then you didn't do a risk assessment. Just like if everything's a high priority, you haven't prioritized anything. Um, and so what the guidance document walks you through is when do I do scripted testing versus unscripted versus ad hoc, you know, or error guessing. And again, this is, this framework was developed with the industry and with technology and service providers. So of all the companies that have taken this approach over the years, the FDA has accepted it. Now, there is a concern that, you know, what happens, what happens in, in Maryland doesn't, isn't going to happen here in my neck of the woods when the auditor comes in. And granted, there haven't been a lot of in-person inspections since you know, early 2020. Um, but the FDA is, does have a, uh, a training, you know, internally. They're getting the word out. They're making sure that everyone's on board. You can't come in and ask for the val- a the validation package that that you're used to seeing, and getting less documents and thinking that just because of that the company doesn't have you know they don't have their software assurance for intended use. Yeah, appropriately okay. documented or provide digital evidence for it. So, so when I think of this, uh, so my product development background kind of starts coming out. So. You know, you'll have to hold me back at some point here. But um, one of the things I think about is uh, part 820.30 talks about the way you should design a product. And one of the things you do is you identify the intended use. You talk about those use uh, those user needs and that drives what your design inputs are, your design outputs, the design of the, the thing that you're building. And then that's how you decide how you're going to verify it and validate it. Now, there's lots of aspects to your device that may not fall under user need. 
Maybe the color of the plastic, if it's not important, um, different things like that may not matter. Uh, so they don't necessarily fall under design controls. Is that kind of the way to think about it when you when you think through your intended use, your user needs? Um, is that a way to think about applying the CSA or am I way off base here? Okay, well, I, I, can, I can tell you the way Cisco Vicente of the Case for Quality and MBIC put it. Um, because a computer software assurance effort is risk-based, the burden of validation is no more necessary to address the identified risk. Okay. Right? Um, so, yes. Um, I don't think there's a... I don't think there's a, 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 a necessarily a, a one size fits all for everyone. And the reason I say that is because of, I don't know, sometimes it just has to do the culture of the organization, the maturity of the organization, the maturity, the maturity of the technology um, and the automation um, in a company. But what, what you're trying to do is again, Determine whether a software is intended for use as part of the production or quality system. Okay. So do you mind if I just go into that for a second? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So identify your intended use. Um, determine your risk-based approach. So evaluate the level of risk if software were to fail to perform as intended. And if the software fails as, as um, if the software fails to perform as intended, what is the impact on the product and the patient and your, and your quality system, right? Ultimately, the patient, right? I mean, let's, come on. We're in business to make people's lives better. Um, so what would be the impact of that on your patient? Um, then determine your appropriate assurance activities. Again, this is taking that, starting with the critical thinking first and then you know, doing the documentation later. So identify assurance activities, again, commensurate with the risk. So this is where the different type of testing that you're going to follow. Um, and then establish the appropriate record. So how are you going to capture sufficient evidence to demonstrate that software was assessed and performed as intended? In the comments of this guidance document, I, th I think it was interesting how there was a lot of pushback. There was a lot of, um, there were some interesting comments, uh, comments about screenshots. Um, where the technology is today in 2023 and how we can, you know, Photoshop or make make a screenshot look like anything. Really, you can manipulate screenshots easier today than you could 20 years ago. I guess was one of the comments. And so, you know, what what really is the value of a screenshot? A screenshot is just saying whether you passed or failed something, whether something passed or failed. So rather than spending all these time with these screenshots, just say pass or fail, right? And if it failed, yeah. then how did you fix the fail? Or, you know what I mean? What, so we're moving on from where, but the screenshots, and again, I know this is going to make a lot of quality people and a lot of validation people very itchy because this was the process. This is the way we've done it in the past. And the reality is the regulators are trying to make it easier for you, right? They're not taking validation jobs away. I know everyone's worried about losing their job to generative AI and everything else, and automation and robots. 
But what they're trying to do is make you work smarter. And again, stop generating all this documents, spending all this money and resources, and stop using validation as an excuse not to come into the 21st century. Okay. You mentioned something about the culture, and uh, I wonder if you could address that a little bit, because um, that was actually something that was mentioned in the chat, is, is that the actual switch might not be the hard part. Um, the culture and changing the attitudes of those quality assurance uh, personnel might be the more difficult part. Is that something you've seen or what are the, what are the challenges that you've seen personally with companies switching over? Oh, well, I mean, I've, I've, I've heard it right. Firsthand. Um, You know, it's just, it's a natural resistance to change. And a lot of that is um, understanding, you know, you, you, you guys on the podcast, you have to read the guidance. You have to wrap your head around it. You have to talk to your peers. Again, there's these communities out there to understand what some of these best practices are. Work with your vendors, leverage what they are doing so that you can, as as uh, the FDA puts it, take credit for the work that they've done. Um, so yes, I've, I'm seeing some resistance out there. And a lot of it is, you know, we tend to get a little sensitive when we think our jobs might go away and your jobs aren't going away. Um, you're just going to get to actually uh, create a little bit more value, right. For yourself and the organization. Um, and, you know, stop, stop reinventing the wheel. Um, and, and by the way, I've heard folks at FDA say this plenty of times, you know, you, you don't want to be doing business. You shouldn't have a technology partner or you shouldn't be in a partnership with a technology company that can't give you good software, right? So you're, you know, the relationship between like science companies and their partners, their vendors um, is, is changing significantly because of this as well. Okay. So it's not, so now it's a, how can you support CSA? And we've heard that um, consistently, right? I mean, my job's an analyst. So, I go all around the country. I go to conferences. I speak at events. I read. I read for you. I I, I attend <laughs> webinars. I speak on webinars. You know, this is what I do for a living. Um, and so there's been, like I said, there's been some of that resistance. And then there's other companies, especially the smaller ones, who are like, look, the 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 easier you can make my life to help me be a quality data driven organization, the better. Yeah, absolutely. And so the, 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 the difference, it's interesting to think about the difference in the way people are approaching it. Um, you've worked with a lot of different companies and that was actually one of the reasons we, we, um, started working with you and Exendia is because, uh, when we saw this draft guidance come out, um, it was a draft and, uh, some things could change. Like you said, 137 comments, a lot of those repeat things probably will slightly change. And so after kind of filling out the industry, um, uh, that is one of the ways that we're, we're moving towards, but I'm curious, have you seen anybody jump on too quickly? And I don't want to know who or anything like that, but what are the potential risks if you jump in a certain way or, or are there any ways and people are misusing it? Is, is there a way to misuse it? I guess I should ask. Oh yeah. Oh, there, there's certainly a, uh, certainly a way to misuse it, uh, which is, you know, don't, don't, <laughs> don't do any kind of software quality assurance on your own. Um, so, you know, don't, you, you have to do, you have to, do, okay. You have to 
So like I always say, look, there's a method to my madness, right? You have to be able to defend, defend your decisions to an auditor, why you took any one way, one approach or another when the time comes, right? That needs to be documented. And again, this starts with what is the impact? What is the risk assessment? What did you come up with? What? You're going to have to defend your decision and maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. Um, so the biggest, I mean, the ba- the worst thing you can do is say, I don't have to do validation anymore because that's just, that's just not true. And I saw yeah. that there was a question here about ISO 1345. So um, yeah. in the comments, by the way, in the, in, in a lot of the comments, that was a, um, a good, good catch. That was actually another common theme that I saw was industry recommending that, you know, again, these all kind of come together. And, and, and the reality is, um, I don't think they want to make, I don't think the agency wants to repeat the same mistakes, right? We don't want this guidance to become what the previous one was, right? Um, So the more we can bring in industry standards, you know, the more we can say, look, this is following ISPE and GAM5, and then we have ISO here, and we have, oh, here's the other thing. Um, People are very concerned that only medical device companies will follow this approach because, you know, it's coming out by CERH, and uh, that actually it's going to support support Pharma 4.0. So this is for, you know, for I know you guys on, on the podcast today are medical device companies. Well, I'm guessing most of you are. But this is really, this should cross, you know, the different agencies under the FDA and everyone is looking to adopt this. So at the end, this is really about moving the industry forward, coming into the 21st century, automating your production processes, um, having a having critical thinking as a foundation to your software quality assurance activities, um, really focusing on improved patient outcomes, becoming data driven, leveraging technology, coming out of the dark ages. Um, the amount of paper that still exists in this industry is frankly unnerving when you think about the complexity of the products that are coming to market today. Yeah. And if I were to, I don't know, bring out one of the other, one of the other questions that came up in the, in the chat was something about cybersecurity. And I know that's a little bit of a different topic, but um, is that something that I guess that would be part of your risk when you're going through and and, uh, looking at that? Yeah, well, and uh, so, I mean, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news here, but so there's this omnibus bill that um, has really, really, uh, that has some new cybersecurity requirements there to even try to get a product on the market. Um, So, but again, still product related, not necessarily process related. I think that omnibus is really, I can try to get a link to that. I think it was December 29th. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, yeah. The omnibus bell is definitely product related, as opposed to your the cybersecurity yeah. of you know your your networks or you know if your QMS is in the cloud and you're in you know whatever whichever vendor vendor ecosystem you're in. Um, okay, I found a link for those masochists in the art in the audience who want to to read that massive bill. Um, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, but that being said, those 
those specific things related to um, the process, if there are any cybersecurity related, like cloud, uh, cloud-based cloud software, um, the comment was made that uh, in the guidance, uh, the FDA guidance for CSA, it doesn't necessarily mention cybersecurity risks, but when you go through that risk-based approach, the assumption in my mind is that as a, if you're a software company, that is part of your overall risk-based approach thinking. One of the risks potentially is um, uh, losing uh, uh, losing some of the important information related to a specific, I don't know, clinical trial or something like that. Is that is that your thinking, or what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I would I would probably bring it a little closer to the patient, right? Because we're looking, you know, we're looking at risk to the quality system or the product, and how and how those risks would would ultimately impact the patient. So. You know, it could be anything from, you know, securing you know, so your supplier data, right? I mean, who you're getting materials from. Um, I, 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 wish I, I wish I had an answer for that. That one's kind of, I think, a little bit out of my wheelhouse. Sure. No, that's, that's fine. Or maybe I just don't have the right context for it. I could, you know, do a little research and get back to whoever's no, asking. No, that's that, No worries. Um, yeah, cybersecurity is a moving target right now, it feels like. But uh, so we can keep moving. Okay. This is great. We covered a lot of ground. I'm curious, is there anything you feel like maybe we missed or, or uh, questions you've gotten asked quite a bit as far as that, that maybe we haven't gotten to, I'll run through the comments while you think of something there and I'll see if I can come up with something. Um, no, I think, look, I think what, what I would want to tell the folks listening today is that you're going to, okay, this is a, it, you know, it's a step change depending on, again, uh, the maturity of your company and how you were approaching validation, you know, to use, you know, the, in the good old days, to use the term in the good old days. Um, but understanding that, and I feel like the regulators itself, themselves have said, look, this really isn't that much different than if you were following GAMP, if you were, you know, taking a risk-based approach to your let's say validation back then. Um, I, I think what probably took everyone off guard is that the word validation went away. And again, we caught up to other industries and started calling it software assurance. Um, and that, you know, it's a good thing. This is, this is again, a way for you to stop spending time and resources testing every single feature and function that you don't have to anymore. Yeah. Um, remember, we're not building software anymore. You know, we're, we're, we're focused on bringing medical devices to market. You know, you don't need to have ISOCOM IT armies, the IT armies of those, those app dev groups, um, building all this custom software. I mean, I I've been to companies where, you know, the validation, you literally had a validation manager that had sometimes 50 validation people on staff full-time and another hundred contractors. Yeah. Validating all different kinds of technologies, doing not only system validation, but process and equipment um, qualification. So, you know, this is a, like I said, I, it, it's a step in the right direction. The regulators want you to come into the 21st century. They're trying to remove some unintended consequences of the prior guidance document out there. And, you know, let's see what they say about cloud systems and AI. I'm I'm looking forward to it myself. I wish I wish I had a I wish I could read people's minds. I wish I could just look into my yeah um, 
you you brought up that 80 that 80 20 that you mentioned earlier i think was a really powerful point for me personally because i think okay uh previously you wanted an 80 percent customized solution it made total sense that you in-house would have to be validating that because why would the company you know do that for you and then do all this validation when they're moving on to the next company whereas nowadays you've got these companies that are building software specific for the industry and pardon me for using green light guru again for that but i mean a, 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 a software that is specifically built for a medical device company that wants to take a medical device to market um, should be something that the company itself could take on and do that activity for you so right yeah. exactly and you know you you know you yourself are building industry best standards into your application right so most of the things are going to be out of the box. You know, there's going to be workflows that are created out of the box um, that companies can just get in and, and take advantage of. So if you're not changing anything, why are they going behind you and retesting everything that has already been tested? Because you wouldn't yeah. be releasing software that doesn't work. But if you did, you wouldn't be in business very long. <laughs> right. No, that makes total sense. Um and it's interesting when people want a specific, you know, a customized workflow and they forget, well, you're trying to follow ISO 1345 7.3 when it comes to um, all of your uh, uh, your design controls or part 820.30, whatever it is. And uh, so, yeah, it, it makes sense. One of the questions that, from the chat that I'm just seeing now, I think is a good question from Charles, is the term validation now obsolete as it relates to computerized systems or software? It probably isn't yet, but I'm curious, should it be? What are your thoughts? Uh, for non-product, for sure, right? So for non-medical product, yes. I, I don't think we'll be using validation when it comes to your business applications and, and those technologies. I think we will be using assurance, at least. Oh, that was, and, and again, I don't know if I mentioned that earlier, but that was another thing that I saw a lot in the comments is that don't use validation. <laughs> if you're not going to call computer system validation, don't refer to validated or validation in the body of the guidance, make it as, you know, make it as clear as possible and, and communicate that as clear as possible throughout the guidance and be consistent and don't use the V word. But yeah, for non-product, for your medical devices, you're, you're still going to be validating the software yeah. in your products. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I'll run over to the Q&A. We've kind of been trying to go back and forth. So hopefully that's made sense to those who are listening. Um, but I'll run over to the, the Q&A to see what, what kind of questions we had. Um, Milan asked, GAMP is not a regulation. Why is it, why is it so pushed and suppliers claim that they're GAMP 5 compliant? Um, I would expect something different. Is, uh, what are your thoughts there? You kind of covered a little bit about GAMP 5, just kind of being best practices. But Yeah, no, no, that's, no. And that's, um, okay, so you, you, have to, you have to realize that Life science is a herd mentality, right? So there's there's very few people at the top. There's a couple stragglers at the end, and the rest are in what I call the warm, frozen middle. Um, so when you have um, when you have GAMP out there, when you have ISB and GAMP five, and when you have all these, you know, there is a there is a harmonization. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, wave, right? Happening to Again, this is for the for the for the for the benefit of the industry um, to say, look, this is this is accepted. These are best practices, um, and now it's not a regulation by any means, right? Um, there was again 
from the comments a little bit, again, tying that a little bit more into, I think, uh, I think the, the thought process there from the regulators. So no, it's not a regulation, but they, these are good frameworks. I don't know if that's the right word to put it to, to follow that have been accepted um, within the life sciences industry. Sure. Okay. I'm curious if you said there's not, it's not regulation yet. Do you see any potential future for regulation being impacted by, by this? I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even try (laughs) to guess um, what, you know, what the, what a future FDA is going to look like, but I will advise the folks on the podcast today to, um, try to stay on top of that a little bit, right? So at least in the United States, um, the FDA itself has an Office of Digital Transformation. The FDA itself just requested $7.2 billion for fiscal year 2024 to modernize um, and to continue modernizing. They have an enterprise modernization action plan. They have a data modernization action plan. They said they're moving to the cloud. Um, they sure there's a ton of AI initiatives in there. So, you know, what the FDA is going to do in the future, we don't know, but um, we know that not doing nothing as an industry could potentially put you behind your regulator. And that is not a place you want to be in, at least if you're, you know, marketing and selling here yeah. under the FDA. Some Rodney asks, is there more emphasis now on risk analysis due to CSA? I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on that. I mean, I know the FDA has been been pushing a risk-based approach for a while now. In fact, that's a, part of the, a big part of the preamble for the QMSR. But um, sure. what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this, yeah, this is, I mean, this is, again, this all starts with a risk assessment. Yeah. Right. This, this is all under, first of all, this is really understanding your intended use for a system. Um you know, for a system that is going imp- to, that is going to, for a software application that is going to impact the production or the quality system, you know, really understanding what is your intended use for it. And then doing that risk assessment to, again, understand what is the impact of something not working on the patient. Yeah. Okay. That makes I know, sense. I feel like I'm a broken record with that, but that <laughs> is the, that has been a very clear and consistent message from the regulators um, even when this was just a pilot program back in the day. Um, another thing that the industry is concerned about is that, well, you listed an MES system, you listed, you know, you gave five, you know, five examples. And, you know, what's the unintended consequence of just listing these five examples? Everyone is going to do exactly, they're going to do the risk assessment and follow exactly what was shown in these examples, which are really, really small and not really all inclusive. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. We'll, ha- we'll see what happens with the examples. Because like I said, there's a lot of push to understand how does this impact my relationship with, you know, with applications that are in the cloud or SaaS software? Um, how does this impact AI technology that I want to use um, that could have an impact on the patient um, or the production and quality system? Okay. Have you heard the phrase intermittent validated state? And I'm curious if you, if you have heard of it, I'm curious what you think of it. Or this was an early, this is several years ago that I first heard about this. And I think it was basically pushing more towards CSA with cloud computing. I think there was an Amy report. Let me look it up actually. Um, 
a consensus no. report. Uh, oh, 2021. Five, Amy CR 510 2021. Maybe I'm, uh, I'll, I'll put a link to it. Maybe I'm shooting from the hip here and I should not ever do that. But um, if you've not heard about it, we can move on. But uh, I'll put a link in the, in the show notes to that. Um, but it was essentially the appropriate use of public cloud computing for quality system and medical devices. Now, granted, a little bit older, so um, this draft guidance makes a lot more sense. But I didn't know if that is something that had been on your radar as far as um, something you've seen. No, that uh, that's that's not terminology that I'm familiar with. So not mainstream and, and it definitely didn't catch on. So we can just kind of move on from that then. Sounds good. Let me go back over to the Q&A just to check one more time, uh, see if there's something that we didn't really uh, catch even peripherally. I should stop using that word. That's the second time. Can GCP companies use the term validation for purchased GXP software products SaaS in use? Maybe the, the question more is about the use of the term validation. I don't know that it's absolutely wrong to use that validated. It just sounds like, you know, I'm. Um, yeah, no, I mean, look, I think, I think the word validation isn't, isn't going to go away um, anytime soon. You know, it's, it's, I'm sorry, I froze. Um, it's, uh, I think, I think it was clever to remove validation, to stop saying system validation and say system assurance. Um, just because it automatically gets your attention that something something's changed, yeah, um, and you need to pay attention to the change. So, um, look, no one's saying you have to go through your SOPs and remove validation and use assurance, but that's just you know, I guess that's that's the new that's the new lingo. That's what everyone's going to be talking about now is software assurance. Yeah, I like Ginny's comment. You still need to validate a process. Um, I'm going to have to have Jenny be the the podcast uh, host next time. She's asked some really good questions. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Um, Go ahead. No, I would say, yeah. I mean, uh, like, again, this is the regulators isn't saying you don't stop, stop out, <laughs> stop, stop testing, stop um, proving that you're in a state of control and that uh, technology is meeting its intended use consistently. And if it does, and if it fails, it's not going to impact, you know, the patient or the product. So, so really it's a, it's, it's a different way of identifying the activity. Um, essentially, I mean, if you wanted to, you could still call it validated, but it's just easier to use a different term because you're now using a different process. So that's ultimately what you're trying to get at. And I think that's valid. I think that's, that's a great way to approach it. Um, very cool. And it's, and it's and it's really look, it's it it's stop repeating all of the work that your vendors have already done when it comes to when you're purchasing off the shelf software. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like it, it especially if you're if you're gonna use as much as the as much of that functionality that's already built in as possible because you know, like the green light gurus of the world or your ERP system or whoever else you're using, again, those those companies have their software quality assurance activities internally. They follow their system development life cycle. They're doing the testing. They're doing the documentation. They're doing the bug fixes. They're doing all of that stuff already for you. So you don't have to go behind them and spend incredible amounts of time and effort and killing trees um, just to prove that 
it works that the it works the way your vendor said it was going to work. The, one of the one of the other things that I think is really important is sometimes we start mixing our stories about what this is a- applicable to. You're mm-hmm. not talking about the product. You're talking about the processes that support it and could potentially impact the product, impact the patient. So I think that's right. important. Look at the scope and the draft guidance for those of you listening. Again, think look at the show notes. We'll put all the links in there as well. Um, this has been really fantastic and fun. Um, I don't know if you have any last bits of advice, Sandra. I I I hope that it cools off where you are. But uh, any any last piece of advice for companies? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, look, I would say uh, to to the folks on the podcast, um, you know, like I said, there is a herd mentality in life sciences, and you know, unfortunately, it's you know, no one's ever really trying to be number one. Um, but there's a lot of initiatives going on right now, and there are companies that. You know, people love to put the information out there, what they've done with CSA, what it is, what it isn't. Um, There's a lot of resources from the FDA itself, working groups. I would suggest you don't have to take my word for it. You know, there are some really, really smart people out there who've been in the trenches. They've done this. Again, they've been following this approach for years now, starting with the pilot eight years ago. Look for them. The one thing I know about life sciences is people love to share information um, so get involved with those working groups, um, network with your peers, um, educate yourselves. You know, you as a company have to determine yourself how this uh, guidance document is going to impact you and your processes, because ultimately you're going to have to make that decision. And ultimately, you're going to have to defend your decision to an auditor if and when, um, you know, that in, that that inspection or that audit happens to you. That sounded like a conclusion, but I have one more question about those working groups you said to get involved in. Can you give just a little bit more detail and I'll put a link in the show note as, as you talk? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, sorry, I, I see myself freezing. I don't know if the audience does. You're so, fine to me. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to look at the case for quality working group within the MDIC, right? The Medical Device Industry Consortium. That's a great start. Uh, Cisco Vicente, his name is Francisco Vicente. He is the, he goes by Cisco. He's the program manager of the case for quality at the FDA. Um, He's done a lot of webinars. There is a lot of content out there. Easy person to talk to. Um, You know, if you want to hear it from the horse's mouth himself, I know we have webinars on our site um, that are available on demand and you can hear him talking about things, but look for, there's a, again, a lot of information out there. Um, I would highly suggest, though, that you look into the MDIC. And again, they have uh, virtual events all the time um, on different topics. You know, they have a Make Kappa Cool program. So if you're struggling with, you know, is, you know, what is everything a Kappa? Um, you know, there's that was a pilot. Um, there's just real. They're just putting a lot of good information out there. And again, this isn't just coming from the FDA. These working groups are companies like yourselves working with the regulators. Um, to, again, move the industry forward into the 21st century. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Sandra. Thank you all for those of you who are in our audience, all the great questions and the the activity in the chat. Um, We'll be sure and get all those links in the show notes. We talked about a lot of them. Hopefully I can get them all and uh, look forward to seeing you next time. We'll let you all get back to the rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, reach out to Sandra on LinkedIn, let her know. I'd personally love to hear from you via email. It's etienne.nichols at greenlight.guru. There's no .com at the end. It's just greenlight.guru. Or look me up on LinkedIn. 
If you're interested in learning more about our software built for MedTech, whether it's document management system, our CAPA management system, or our design controls and risk management system, or the electronic data capture for clinical investigations, this is software built by MedTech professionals for MedTech professionals. You can check it out at www.greenlight.guru. Finally, please consider leaving us a, a review on iTunes. If you've never done it before, you know what? These things, doing new things will help stave off Alzheimer's is what I'm told. I don't know. Check it out. It helps others find us and it lets us know how we're doing. So be sure and leave us a review on iTunes if possible. Thanks again. Take care. The medical device industry is nothing if not unique. So we built software that works the same way. Greenlight Guru is the only quality management system designed by medical device professionals to meet the unique needs of medical device companies. Our cloud-based platform allows companies to bring safer products to market up to three times faster while reducing risk and lowering cost. Visit www.greenlight.guru today to request your free personalized demo of Greenlight Guru.